Genesis, the 12th chapter, and then Jeremiah 29 and 11, and then John 15 and 8. We're going to read the Bible today. Somebody say, read the Bible. We're going to read the Bible. Genesis 12, 1 through 8, Jeremiah 29 and 11, John 15 and 8. Now the Lord has said, feedback to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Listen to the word of the Lord. I will make you a great nation. This is a man that is past childbearing years. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, for men, I think that we can reproduce somewhere upwards into our 70s. Somebody say amen. amen. They might come out a little slow, but we can make them. <laughs> but his wife's cycle had already ceased. <laughs> Y'all not going to help me tell the truth. The baby going to be a little slow. We're going to look at you and think you look a little old, but you can come out. But his, but his wife's system to reproduce was no longer active. But against the backdrop of impossibility, the sovereign God says to him, I will make of you a great nation. I wish you could open your mouth and praise him right there. Just praise him for your impossibility. Stop. I got to go. Jesus, help us. He said, huh. he said, I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Now, look into the conscience and the consciousness of the sovereign God because he knows that he's sovereign. He doesn't have any qualms with making someone else's name great. Some of y'all run from greatness because you think God is intimidated by your greatness. So you refuse to shine and to manifest. But he says to Abram, he prophesies to him, I'm going to make your name great. What did he say? Oh, okay. Not just God's name great. He said, Abram, I'm going to give you a great name. Y'all see? And he said to him, and you shall be a blessing. Now, God says, I know I'm a blessing. He said, but I'm going to give you a, 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 a dispensation of a great name, a great nation, but I'm going to put a magnitude of blessing on you that you will become a dispensary of blessing in the earth. Did, am, I, am I reading the Bible? Y'all don't, it, it doesn't come to you like this when you read it. He said, watch the covenant now. This is, this is prophet covenant talk. He says, and I will bless those who bless you. You better watch who you talking junk about. Because if, if, if I understand this scripture correctly, when the sovereign was talking to Abram, only the sovereign and Abram were there. So he could have walked out of that visitation and somebody could have cursed him and didn't even know what they were in for because they weren't there when the covenant was ratified. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, but I'm going to curse those who curse you. Am I in the Bible? He said, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord has spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old. Somebody say old. The baby look a little. When he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. 
and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they left Haran and went towards the land of promise. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem or Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were there in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, take your descendants to your descendants. I will give this land. Here's another prophecy. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make of you a great nation. But now I'm going to give you property. I'm going to give you land. Somebody say amen. The appropriate response from Abram. And it says, and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. It was to memorial, uh, memorialize the visitation. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel which means gate of heaven, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. There's another altar. Somebody say another altar. And he called on the name of the Lord. My thoughts uh, it was that he probably wanted the Lord to show up again. So he built another altar to enter into another visitation. Jeremiah 29 and 11 um, is our point scripture. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God is thinking about us. His thoughts about us are good thoughts and not evil. Somebody say good thoughts, not evil, to give us a future and a hope. John 15 and 8, the Lord Jesus says this, by this my Father is glorified. We talk about giving God glory and understanding now as mature believers that giving him glory is more than the slow worship song in the worship set. Jesus says, by this, if you want to know how to give God glory, this is it, that you bear much fruit. So God's not looking for the slow song and the wave. He's looking for productivity. He's looking for you to be a reproducer. That brings him glory. So you will be my disciples. Father, we thank you for this moment. I pray that you would allow uh, your glory to be manifested amongst your people. Thank you for the anointing that breaks and destroys every yoke. Thank you for the virtue of the Lord Jesus Christ that flows in our lives. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. amen. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. The Hebrew name encapsulates what the premise of the book is built upon and what it is supposed to introduce to us. The bare sheet, which is the Hebrew name, means in the beginning or the beginning of the beginnings. I am a firm believer that if one intends to reach the anticipated and expected end of a thing, how that thing begins is paramount uh, to its success and of most importance. Somebody say amen. What you build, uh, Elder Charlene, in your offering teaching, what you build into the foundation is an indicator of the caliber of what that foundation will be able to hold. For no other foundation, the scripture says, can anyone lay than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. Somebody say become clear. Scripture says, for the day will declare it. So we're talking about people that are working in a night season. Somebody say work in your night season. Stop being depressed in your night season and learn how to maximize the moment of a night season because there is a day coming. Somebody say the day is coming. 
According to this, when the day comes, the day doesn't come for you to work, but the day comes to declare the work that you have already established. It says the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Somebody say fire. This is another prophetic uh, discourse in the scripture. You don't need a prophet to call you out and tell you you about to go through hell. The Bible just told you you about to go through hell. Somebody say, I'm a builder. If you are a builder, this text is letting us know that both you're going to have a night season and a day season, but it, but it is also letting us know that there is a fire that is coming to test and to try what you have built. You cannot be in the throes of fulfilling your purpose and start crying and lamenting every time a trial or a situation happens in your life. Because the Bible says that you have to be able to endure the fire to prove the caliber of what you are. Somebody say amen. It says it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work. What is the fire going to do? What is the fire going to do? Stop getting mad when circumstances ask you questions. Stop getting mad when the events that surround your life thrust you into an arena of a big question mark. You say you're a man of faith. You say you're a woman of faith. So when you get a bad report, stop crying like God has left you or abandoned you and recognize that the fire is there to reveal whether or not you're really a man or woman of faith. Somebody say the fire. It comes to reveal. Y'all not saying it. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Somebody say the fire, fire. is coming to test the kind of work. So what is that talking about? Did you build with gold or silver? Because gold and silver can withstand fire. Y'all not here. But if you built with wood, hay, or straw... When the fire comes, your work is about to be destroyed. Can I prophesy to you that we're going to see some works destroyed? Y'all not see, y'all don't want the prophetic. Y'all want me to tell you you're going to get a car. No, I'm telling you that we're about to see a fire hit the body that's going to cause works to be destroyed because they weren't built with the right material. Somebody say amen. And it says, if anyone's work, I got to get through this, which he has built on indoors, if what you have built indoors, you will receive a what? Y'all not reading the Bible with me? A reward. This is 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 14. Somebody say amen. So the focal point <laughs> is not just that there has to be a builder <laughs> and the foundation but the focal point is that you have to be preoccupied. Y'all really making me laugh. I'm trying to get through this. With how what is being built comes about because there is a day or a season of revelation and a fire that is going to reveal it. Somebody say amen. You cannot just build a ministry. You cannot just build a marriage. You cannot just build a business. You have to think about the ingredients that you are putting into what you are building if you want to build for longevity. Y'all not going to like it. We're living in a generation now where everybody wants everything quick without process. Y'all not going to help me. 
But process says that I have owned the experience. So when I get to the place of manifestation, you can't just come in there and take away from me what I have labored over and worked for and the process that I have been through to accomplish and to establish the thing that God has put in my hand. Somebody say amen. These are the precepts upon which you must build so that you can endure the exposure of the work and the releasing of the fire that comes to qualify it. Can I say this here, that we have to begin to assess, Prophet T, the mental capacity of people that connect with us to build in ministry. Because what I have found in this uh, particular phase of my pastorate, I'm in the 10th year, I finished the 10th year, we are now in the 11th year of the pastorate, I found out, uh, Elder Bonaparte, that there are people that do not have the mental capacity for what it is that God has really assigned us to do. And that's not a slight to people because I'm learning to love people wherever they are. I'm learning to accept them and embrace them and to serve them, <laughs> somebody say amen, and to minister to them wherever they are. But I got to do it according to knowledge so that I know where to place you. Because if you don't have the ability to hold weight and I put weight on you, your part of the building is going to collapse. And so I'm discovering now that more than just looking uh, for the giftedness of a person or perceiving the grace or the aptitude in a person, I now have to assess whether or not you have the mental wherewithal and capacity to go the long journey that is ahead. It's not enough for you to be excited over your gift and your ability to preach and prophesy if you don't have the character and the stick to it to, oh, to, to endure when we're all the way down the way. See, it's one thing to be in here and jumping around when you can be seen, but it's another thing for you to be able to be dependable and relied upon when there is no fanfare and there's nobody that can see how great you serve and how excellent you are and nobody can pat you on the back. No. Where is your character developed? Because if we're going to see the will and the purpose of God established in the earth, he don't need hype people. He needs capacity people. He don't need people that are excited about God and the fact that he's using you. He needs people that he can rely on. Somebody say I'm dependable. Somebody say I'm dependable. That means that if God wakes me up out of a deep sleep he can depend on me to do whatever it is that he needs me to do because I'm yielded to him. My heart is yielded. My body is yielded. My mind is yielded. He's given me the capacity. Y'all not saying nothing to me. I'm going to preach the prophet to He's given me capacity. And so we have to assess whether or not people have the ability to endure. Your calling to ministry is not about robes and dresses and suits. It's not about the mic. Go buy your, your, your own self a mic. Get you a little amp. Huh? It's not about prestige. It's not about honor. It's not about people serving you. But ministry is a cross. Does this sound all right out there? Because I'm struggling up here, but I'm going to push through it. Ministry is a death sentence. Because it is impossible for us to fulfill the Christ kind of ministry without first picking up a cross and following him to the destination. So we got to check. Do you have the ability to suffer? Yeah, instead of me asking you about how much you pray, let me ask you about the last trial that you actually endured and made it through. 
Let me ask you about the last time you hit rock bottom and you didn't crawl up in a corner in a cave and the saints couldn't see you for six months. Tell me about the last time that you had to worship under the sentence of the thorn. You up there bleeding and crying and hurting and weak, but you did not allow anything in you to waver. You said, for God I live and for God I die. If you called me, the grace is present for me to do it. Tell me about the last time you went through and didn't quit. Tell me about the last time you went through with your spouse and you said, baby, we're going to get through this together. Y'all not talking back to me. It's all right. I'm going to stay right here because I must be pushing somebody's button. You didn't, you didn't Google divorce.com. You said, I'm going to set my face like Flint to the Lord and I'm going to pray and I'm going to push and we're going to fix it. When's the last time the endurance of your character was really tested? Because if you are going to be a manifester and one who fulfills the plan of God, you have to have capacity. Somebody say capacity. When we consider a book devoted to beginnings, we have to establish the fact that it carries apostolic dimension. How God begins a thing sets the precedent for his intention, his purpose, and his method. Before it can be bastardized, abused, or misused, a book of beginnings gives us a candid look into the heart and the mind of a sovereign God and reveals to us the construct of all of his interfaces with creation. Genesis is the book of the primeval and ancestral histories of God, his worlds, and the first beings who populated his celestial and earthly spheres. Somebody say, I'm, I'm working on my degree. So if you need a dictionary, just go to dictionary.com. I'll come back and pick you up. Somebody say amen. amen. To find Christ or to look at Christ, locate him in the Old Testament shadow of the book, we see God's plan of redemption unfolding in an unprecedented way through his recovery of what was lost in the garden through the deception of Satan. It is impossible. Somebody say impossible. To hear a word from God and his redemptive purposes are not included in what he says. Somebody shout amen. It means that when God called Adam and Eve into being, his omniscience revealed to him that they were going to fail. He knew that they were going to lose the glory. He knew that they were going to disobey. He knew that they were going to commit spiritual adultery and to cut covenant and marry Satan. He already knew. But when he called them into being, inside the construct of that call was the redemptive process that was going to be able to find them and restore them when the situation came up. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but you might be in a situation right now where you feel like the world is completely on top of your shoulders. You feel like you messed up. You feel like you failed. You feel like you're a failure. But let me prophesy to you that when God breathed breath into your body, y'all not going to like it, but that there was a redemptive quality and element that was already there to take care of you before you ever fail. All you have to do is recognize that his deliverance is near you and pick yourself up and step right back in. Y'all not going to help me preach this. Step right back into purpose and do what God called you to do. Somebody say amen. And so here we are, it is impossible to hear a word from God and not experience the redemptive power of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
in our text, and I'm about to wind down, Abram is a descendant of Noah, who was the preacher of righteousness. The Lord had repopulated the earth after the flood and was reestablishing his covenantal dealings with all of his creation. Abram's life was interrupted by God's plan and purpose when God spoke to him. Somebody say his life was interrupted. Abram was minding his business when God spoke to him. Somebody shout amen. Here's sub point number one. God will interrupt you and his plan is not always convenient. And it does not always fit into your agenda, your personality, or your preferences. I don't know who that is for, but somebody needs to know that God is not bowing down to your five and ten year plan. That he is the sovereign over all of creation and that if he only thinks that you ought not be alive, your breath is going to leave your body even while you sit in there fighting trying to keep it in there. Somebody shout hallelujah. When God speaks to us, prophet, many times his voice will interrupt the program. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but there is a word from God that's about to interrupt your process. Somebody say speak Lord. The second point that we see here in God talking to Abram is that God's voice is always the voice of command. Somebody say command. Somebody say command. When God speaks, he doesn't speak like he's trying to negotiate with you. He speaks as a sovereign. Somebody say God will tell you what to do. Y'all got to get used to that because when we're dealing with the kingdom dynamic and we're dealing with the king and a sovereign, he is not a part of our democratic political process. He's not going to look for it. Y'all not going to like it. I got to preach it the way I hear it. He's not going to look for your vote. He's not even going to look for your agreement. The only thing he's going to look for is your obedience. Somebody say the voice of command. There are seasons in your life when God speaks, beloved, that you just got to obey. Somebody say just obey. You just got to obey. And then, here we go. He speaks as a sovereign, tells Abram what he expects him to do. And here's the question. How do you handle when God shifts you out of your comfort zone and throws you into an arena of uncertainty and then tells you that it's his will? See, we got to mature out of the fact or out of the belief that just because it's his will, it means it has to feel good. No, there are some things that God has written concerning our lives that will never feel good, but it's still a part of the plan. There are things that he has authored, y'all not going to like it, that he has put us right in the middle of that does not feel good. But when we look up, we can still praise him and trust his sovereignty because we know that all things are working together for the good of them who love the Lord. Some Somebody shout hallelujah. Here's point number one. God told Abram to go. Somebody say go. God will give you divine instructions, Dewberry, but leave out all the details. He'll give you a word and tell you to go and not give you the coordinates to put in the GPS. And not only will he tell you to go, and not tell you where you're going, but he won't tell you the hell that you're about to endure on the path of the go. Somebody say go. He told him to get out of his country. That meant his nationality. Now watch this. His nationality, the things that he identified with, his people, his group, his clique. He said, get away from them. Somebody say, get away. He said, get away from your kindred. This is your people. This is your bloodline. I know y'all not going to like this. Because y'all all say, well, if this is the divine order. Is God first, family second, and then ministry third. He said, Abram, get away from your family. 
I'm just waiting. To, if I leave the Bible, do what? So as long as I'm in this Bible, you're supposed to stay. He said, Abram, watch this. He was even specific. Get out of your father's house. It's oxymoronic that the God who commands unity is also the God that will command a divide. Jesus said, don't think I've come to sow peace on the earth, but I've come with a sword. And the man's enemies will be those of his own house. I'm going to put father against mother, mother against daughter. Am I still, am I here? I know that's uncomfortable. But what does that mean? I'm not telling you to sacrifice your family at the expense of ministry, but I'm saying that there are some situations where your family is being used by Satan to destroy your purpose. Y'all don't like it. You cannot sit before the throne of God and have a justifiable explanation for not fulfilling your purpose and say, God, but I was with my family. But God, I was with my people. God, you said family was my first ministry. I'm still trying to find that scripture. I just, I know it is. Y'all didn't like that. It's all right. Because y'all believe stuff that's not in the Bible. I'm still looking for it in the scripture. They said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting. He said, you are my mother and my brothers. He said, the ones that do the will of God. Am I still in this book? So there are times when God has to divide you from what you're comfortable with. There are times that he has to divide you from y'all not going to like it, from your cultural connectivity because it stands in the way of your identity in Christ. Some of y'all are more faithful to a sorority than you are to the blood of Jesus. You got more cultural. Y'all not going to let me. Help me please Jesus. Some of y'all got more energy for Black Lives Matter. Than you have for sanctification and the Holy Ghost. And I'm not even going to tell you. I don't care if y'all don't like it. Because I'm a prophet in a generation. The people that founded it are full of sexual immorality and witchcraft. They said they're channeling the spirits of the ancestors. They do rituals before the meetings. And you got a t-shirt. God has to separate us. From our people. When they stand in the way of purpose. Sit down. Dealing with a generation. Prophet, this prophetic thing is coming on me now. We're dealing with a generation that has to recognize the sovereignty of God. Because we have played with God for so long that we think that God is only God by our permission. No, beloved, he's not God when you give him permission to be God. He's God whether you like it or not. He's sovereign whether you think you're yielding or not. Because if you don't do what he's called you to do, he'll raise somebody else right up. Ask Moses. Ask Elijah. He will replace you and make you train the replacement. He will replace you and make you develop your replacement as Saul. He's sovereign. 
And the moment that we recognize the sovereignty of God is the moment that our real purpose can be realized. See, you think that you're going to be able to control it and manipulate it and make it what you want it to be. I'm telling you, beloved, that we have entered into an era of God's interaction with the body where he's only throwing his weight around. We asked him to do it, and now we're at the place that he's doing it. He's showing us who's boss. It's not you. It's not me. It's not our agenda. It's not our plan. It's not our, y'all not, uh, it's not what we want. Says to Abram, take your seats, I'm, I'm winding down. Go to a, la a land that I will eventually show you. You just be about the movement of the go. When I say go, you move just like that. That's what he's, he's, he's giving him obedience training. Some of y'all help me because I got some mature believers in here that have been through obedience training. Have you ever been in that season, Prophet Donna, when God just tells you to do stuff because he said so? Just because he said so. Well, God, why I got to do that? It don't matter. I need you to wake up at 9 o'clock and I need you to go to the grocery store. Why do I have to go to the grocery store? I don't know, but I just got to be there. And then you get there and then you get another instruction. The person in front of you, their debit card ain't working. And even though you're frustrated that you waited all that time, the reality is he sent you there to pay for their bills so that they can move out of your way. But God, why I got to do that? It don't matter why. Just do it because I told you to do it. He'll tell you to put your, turn your plate down. But God, I just set up a lunch appointment. Tell Michael to call them and cancel it because I need you with your plate down. Why I got to do it? I don't know. But just obey. He'll put you in the school of obedience. He's getting you ready because in a season, you're going to have to obey at a moment's notice and you won't have time for your adult temper tantrum. How many weeks does it take for God to get your compliance? I'll wait. Because most of us right now got residual prophetic words floating over our heads. And we'll say, well, you know, the Lord told me that. Well, then what did you do with what he told you? The prophet called you up. You know what? I get that word every time. That doesn't mean God is tooting your horn. He's telling you you didn't listen the first time. When the prophet got to keep telling you over and over and over, it means he's bringing you down to remedial level in the prophetic so that you can understand that you have not completed it. He's calling us into radical obedience. You want your shadow to heal, then you better walk in obedience. When God first speaks in your life, when he first visits you with the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord is more about the disconnects than the promise. Abram, leave. Abram, disconnect. Abram, get out of the house. Abram, leave your family. Abram, leave the people. Y'all have to be comfortable dealing with what God is severing out of your life. You got to get comfortable. And sometimes that's hard because we have soul ties to stuff. We got soul ties to people. We got soul ties to places. We got soul ties to things. God says, if you are going to become the father of many nations, the first thing I got to do, Abram, is I got to disconnect. Before I could even change your name, I've got to disconnect you. Where is God disconnecting you right now? Where is he disconnecting? Where is he saying snip, snip? Huh? Where, where, where's the cut happening? Because he can't use you if he can't cut you. 
He can't anoint you if he can't order your steps. You can't quote that. You got to live that. The steps of a good man are ordered. Well, when's the last time you let him order them? Am I getting us ready for glory? God is clear about what Abram has to risk because he's thrusting him into an arena that he's never been in before. Never been disconnected from his people and he's never been to this land that God has still yet to reveal. He's precise about what he has to lose, but he's vague and ambiguous about the destination and the destiny. Once Abram handles all of the disconnects, God will show him the promise. Y'all ready? You cannot see the promise to obtain it when you are still tied to what's keeping you from the promise. Some of us are dancing over promises we're not going to get until we disconnect. I mean, we coming in here doing the breakdown dance. We got our good run. And it ain't never going to happen. Because we're not willing to let it go. We're not willing to disconnect. God promises Abram these seven things. Number one, I'll make of thee a great nation. Number two, I'm going to bless thee. Number three, I'm going to make your name great. Number four, I'm going to make you a blessing. Number five, I'm going to bless those who bless you. Number six, I'm going to curse those who curse you. And then number seven, the entire population and populace of the earth is going to be blessed because of you. Somebody say amen. Somebody say go. go. Point number two, God gave him the command in number one to go. Number two, he obeyed. Somebody say obey. obey. Somebody say obey. obey. It is not enough to hear the command or rejoice over the fact that God has spoken to you unless you are poised and positioned to obey what he said. How many of y'all are excited that you got a word? Now, how many of y'all have obeyed the word? Because God doesn't give you a promise without an instruction. Naaman, you want to be healed? You better go dip seven times in that dirty water of the Jordan River. Your leprosy ain't going to be healed until you go dip seven times. Huh? Peter, you better go walk on water. I'm trying to establish you as a revelator and one of the fathers of the church. You're going to have to go into an arena that nobody else around you has gone in. You got to be comfortable walking on water while everybody else has not been invited to. Imagine what that looked like, Peter getting back in the boat, and God never asked any of the other ones to do it. You got to be comfortable, Tyra, being invited into a realm where your contemporaries are not asked to go. You got to obey. Somebody say obey. The text says in 12, 6, that Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plan of Moreh. Now, Shechem was no ordinary place, and here we discover in the word of God that for Israel, it is the place where major decisions were made. So watch this, because he's in obedience, he's walking, he's going to the land that he doesn't know where he's going to go, but God leads him through the place called Shechem, which is the place of decisions, and leads him through the place of Moreh, which is the teacher. Somebody say decisions. Somebody say teacher. 
it's interesting to me that as we are fulfilling destiny and purpose, and as Abram is walking this path, that God brings him through the place where he has to first make radical decisions. He has the promise, but the promise is not enough to manifest it. You got the word over your life, but having the word is not enough to bring the word to pass. Watch this, y'all. There are things that God has spoken to us that if you don't get busy with the obedience of the word, and if you don't walk on the path of the word, and if you don't come to the place of the decision, the word can never, ever come to pass, even though God himself said it over you. Somebody say decisions, which brings us back to capacity. You have to have the ability to make the decision. Somebody say amen. More means teacher, and he had to come to the place of being taught and instructed. In your obedience to God on the path of destiny, you will be confronted with decisions that will make or break your destiny. Let that sit in. You are going to be confronted with choices. Listen, I want y'all to get this. That will decide whether or not you will ever get to fulfill what God has assigned for you to do. Do not think for one second that just because God said it, that is going to happen. I'm messing with your theology. Well, God is not a man that he shall lie. Neither the son of man that he shall repent. If he said it, he going to make it good. Well, ask Moses why he didn't walk into the promised land then. Ask Moses about the one decision that cost him decades of service. Let me take my seat. Ask him about the one act of disobedience that made the God who changes not change his disposition and change his mind. See, I can't yell and preach through this because this has to resonate in your spirit. Some of you could be one decision away from squandering your purpose and you don't even know because you're playing games. You can be one act of disobedience away from God shifting his disposition. Somebody say, sober up. Say, stop playing. Watch this. Hmm. Your destiny is too valuable and too important for you to haphazardly choose anything. You've got to make up your mind and abject obedience to God and choose obedience even if you're in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood. Can you choose to obey if it makes you bleed? We know he was experiencing hypothermia. We understand the biological implications of that. But can you obey to the point of sweating blood and not being willing to resist the voice of command? The place of decision isn't about you trying out a new idea, but what God has already tested and proven. Somebody say tested and proven. 
When you come to this place of decision, oh, that's nice. <laughs> I didn't know they were doing that. When you come to the place of decision, I think my time on Sundays is 1 o'clock. So after 1, I'm not liable for what I say. Okay. When you come to the place of decision, I'm, I'm winding down. That's not the time for you to pull out a new revelation and try to work it. That's not the time for you to go find you a guru and try to apply their principles. If God leads you to the place of decision, he's doing it based on the track record of your experience and what you already know and what you have already proven in God. See, that's where we get tripped up because we come into these places of decision and then when the enemy comes peddling a new revelation, we don't recognize it and in our pride, we bite the apple Instead of being foundly firmed in what God has already said. God already told you. You can eat from any tree in the garden. There's a new glory about to be revealed. And here you go tiptoeing to the tree that you walked by for 30,000 30, years. All of a sudden now you want to eat from that tree. In the season of decision, you got to stick with what you already know. What has God already proven in your life? Y'all not going to help me. I'm preaching to somebody that is on the verge of a decision, but you cannot squander where you are because you're getting bored with what you got. You better look back at what is in your hand and say, if it worked back then, it's going to work for me right now. If it brought me through the last test, it's going to deal with this test right now. You got to be committed to working this stuff. Somebody say work this stuff. Y'all not helping me. Say work this stuff. You have to choose according to the wisdom of your experience at the place of the, of the decision and your teacher. He already showed you what to do. Somebody say amen. And then the last point, and we're about to get out of here. Abram built an altar. Somebody say he built an altar. In the place where God appeared... Abram built a place of prayer and praise. It is not enough. Somebody say not enough. For you to have personally heard from God is not enough for you to privately obey him. You have to have an external showing of the internal power that is at work in you. Somebody say I see it. Altars are places of visitation and supernatural import and export. Somebody say build an altar. Altars were established to pinpoint places where deities manifested in the earth. You got to maintain the place of prayer. Somebody say prayer. Somebody say prayer. Somebody say praise. You got to maintain it for how long? Ask me. Until God shows up again in power and glory. That's the problem with this church right now. Everything is on microwave and we don't know how to tarry. What does tarry mean? It doesn't mean Jesus. She said, baby, you're going too slow. I said, she said, come on, he's going to feel you. Come on. I don't know if that was tongues or stuttering, whatever it was, but that's not tarrying. Tarrying means to wait. Somebody say to wait. You've got to build an altar and you've got to work the altar until he shows up. That means I'm going to praise until the power comes. I'm going to pray until the glory is revealed. It means I'm going to build an altar on the experience that I have with God. Y'all not going to help Prophet T praise him. I'm going to build an altar on the experience that I already have on God. Y'all got to open your mouth.
I need you to build a place that says God showed up and manifested power. God showed up and manifested glory. God showed up when I was down and out and showed me his ability to provide. I got to build an altar. God showed up when I was sick and infirm and release his power to heal. I've got to build him an altar. God showed up when I didn't have money to pay for food and feed my family. I saw him as my provider. Got to build an altar. When I look back from the place of decision and all the altars that I've already built, when I look back in the place of decision and all the times he's shown up, it pushes me to believe. It pushes me to rejoice because if he did it 12 times ago, he's going to do it. I wish I had a church that could open your mouth and build an altar. Praise him for what he's done. Praise him for how he's moved. Praise him for his manifestation. Praise him for the promise. Praise him for the victory. Praise him for the deliverance. Praise him. Y'all not doing it. Open your mouth. 